Ehishiga Arese Iana Arfat Arangator Shias Farim Firkin Folcher of Iliog et the Oris Nuptron Agase on mid Darnoe Tosha the Nosan Beta will chance Lina Hantishat Agan Shishin and the Melchans Agan Castle Kalok Kahame Kamata Quivne Goni Gulmit Fos. Here a Marak told it can like COVID. May I say, uh, teacher, ministers, and many distinguished guests, holders of offices, Your Excellency President Steinmeier, Efra Budenbender, Elke, distinguished guests, all of you, a Guinea Korofad, you're all so welcome uh, to Oris and Uttarans. I have just said in Irish that. Normally, we would have an opportunity of a receiving line in which we would all have an opportunity of exchanging greetings. And But from my heart out, may I say, in these conditions of COVID, you are all so welcome here. And particularly when we have had the honour of hosting the state visit of His Excellency President Steinmeier and his wife, Elke. This returns a state visit to Germany that Sabina and I enjoyed in 2019. It had many highlights. We often think about it, beginning, of course, with the kind and warm reception we received from you, President, and, and, and indeed all those we met at the reception you held in our honour at your home in Schloss Bellevue in Berlin. As well as the many people we encountered during uh, our visit, we had memorable visits to Frankfurt and Würzburg, and of course to the University of Leipzig, where it was an honour to deliver an address to students and faculty at the university's beautiful Paulinium. Thinking of a sense of visit, I take this opportunity as well of extending our sympathies to those Germans who suffered severe flooding damage in July across two states, and our hearts go out to all of those who continue to be affected as they rebuild their communities in Rhineland-Palatinate and uh, North Rhine-Westphalia. President, may I suggest that our two countries, Germany and Ireland, and its people, have never enjoyed such a burgeoning and flourishing relationship as we do now, with a contemporary relationship. I think that has deepened since the foundation of our state. Indeed, it has been pointed out when the very first hydroelectric Shannon scheme was established in Ireland in the 1920s at Arna Crusher. One of the great it was one of the great infrastructural projects in the history of our state, and perhaps it was a deliberate, even political decision, a cultural assertion of separation from London that we invited Siemens to provide technical assistance. But the relationship is, of course, very much older than that, since the medieval period when Johannes, also known as John Scotus Arugina, illuminated the Carolingian court with his learning. The Hiberno-German relationship has been rooted in a very broader European web of connections, of knowledge, of people and power. The migratory experience between Ireland and Germany for centuries is quite well documented, particularly the scholarly connections from the medieval Irish monks and scholars who left their imprint in so many ways, with perhaps the most notable being Cavan-born missionary St. Killian, who settled in Wurzburg to the wild geese, victims of a turbulent history, who found sanctuary in Germany as soldiers or civil administrations. And they all are early precursors, of course, 
of the many who now arrive on that great European achievement, Erasmus scholarships from a much less turbulent Ireland. German-Irish links were cemented, of course, in the late 19th century. You showed you earlier the head of Douglas de Hjotha, but in that late, in the philologists, such as Kona Meyer and Johann Caspar Seuss, they travelled in the opposite direction and they assisted us in tracing the necessary, and they were what was necessary for the reinvigoration of our native language and folk culture. The Brothers Grimm, too, in turn, became fascinated, then in turn, with Irish folklore. As a sociologist, I must stress the importance to this day, and all of our data sociologists, to the Frankfurt School of Social Theory and Critical Philosophy, established in 1929 at Goethe University Frankfurt, where many intellectuals, academics, and political dissidents, dissatisfied with the contemporary socioeconomic systems of the era, be it capitalist, fascist, communist, authoritarian, helped to deepen our understanding of why such systems came to pass, offering alternative paths to achieving the peaceful social development of a society and a nation based on changing economic circumstances. Above all, changing assumptions. The Frankfurt School scholarship is still a source of great intellectual force today, thanks in no small part to its leading exponents, such as political philosopher Jürgen Habermas, whose scholarship on Europe and the multiple crises we face remains essential reading. I'm very pleased to say that we have uh, with us this evening some of, uh, some of our guests were indeed students of Jürgen Habermas. By the 1950s, Nobel Prize winner Heinrich Bohl, he inspired by, no doubt, his contemporary Samuel Beckett, his influence can be felt in his surreal play, A Mouthful of Earth, and it fired the German imagination with his beautiful ethnographic word sketches of the West of Ireland, published in his seminal Irish diary, a work which has shaped the German perception of Ireland for decades and continues to be influential. In our own time, among the writings of our connection is Hugo Hamilton's account of his childhood in a German-Irish family in Dublin. It is a work that has provided a unique contribution to literature and has found an enthusiastic readership in Germany, helping to further promote understanding between our two nations. German-Irish sculptor Imogen Stewart, her Pangor Bonn installation adorns the reception here at Ursa Neutron. And I'm so happy to say that both Imogen and Hugo are with us all here this evening. Now, I know, President, that you appreciate Irish music. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the release of Irish rock bands U2's seminal album, Achtung Baby, recorded mostly in Berlin, where band members were living at the time. Many regard that album, released in November 1991, as a reflection of the drive and energy that U2 witnessed and experienced in what was then the newly reunited heart of Germany. But before that, of course, groups such as Clonath and the Dubliners found audiences in Germany to which they returned again and again. So migration has been a rich seam from which both of our nations continue to benefit. This was so powerfully exemplified by the news that it was a married couple, Ugar Sahin and Zlodlam Turecci, children of Turkish immigrants to Germany, 
where, like them, opportunity and refuge has been offered to so many. Their groundbreaking research in the field of modified genetic code catapulted them into the public eye as the scientists behind the world's first effective COVID-19 vaccine, the one that is produced by, by Intech Pfizer and the most widely administered here in Ireland. So Germany and Ireland today enjoy many fine cultural ties, simplified through Germany's official cultural institute, the Goethe Institute, which plays a key role in cultural exchange, as do many university partnerships. For example, Irish-German relations are also being fostered among some schools. Pupils of St. Killian's German School in Dublin can apply directly to study at German higher education institutions. Then the close cooperation between the Lycée Francaise des Landes on the Franco-German Euro campus in Dublin includes joint instruction in some subjects and serves as an exemplar model. On matters of economy, Germany and Ireland are prolific trading partners in both directions. Both our countries reap the many benefits of a long history of sustained tourism, and it is a remarkable statistic that approximately 1% of Germans travel to our island each year, the third highest group by nationality. It is estimated, too, that there are approximately 12,000 German nationals living and working here, while Germany is home to 30,000 Irish citizens, with many young Irish finding a home in the cultural metropolis of Berlin, enabling a cross-pollination of cultural and artistic exchange among the artistic communities of both countries. Our peoples have stood together, too, at times of great challenge, whether it was Ireland welcoming German children affected by the aftermath of World War II, or German and European support for the peace process on this island, which is deeply appreciated. President, may I suggest that both our countries are now at a critical juncture as we face up to the great challenge of rebuilding our societies and economies after the devastating COVID-19 public health emergency, or most, more accurately, I would suggest, building something new and better than what was there before. May I suggest that we're presented with a once-in-a-generation a, a once opportunity to do things differently better, to embrace and bring to fruition a new paradigm of existence with each other in relation to work and living and with the world itself, a renewed and healthier connection of ethical society sustainable economy and ecological responsibility. Central to is the flourishing of a reimagined post-COVID-19 society, and they will be, the will be the themes of the spirit of which matters of art and culture are essential ingredients. The pandemic has had and indeed continues to produce such devastating personal, social, cultural and economic consequences, particularly now in those regions of the world which are struggling to secure vaccines, or indeed in those countries in which there is a high degree of vaccination hesitancy. The capacity to prepare for pandemics, the necessary technology, must flow beyond borders to where it is necessary. The pandemic has forced us to return to fundamental questions too, which we as a society ignore at our peril. What are the essential tasks and needs of society as we live together? How did it come to be that so little value was placed on essential work 
and the contribution of frontline staff, those who work in the provision of universal basic services, are indeed what must be accepted, frankly, as the real economy. The task now at hand is to create a society that is not just more equal, one in which all work is valued and all jobs are decent, fulfilling and secure, together with, but with sufficient social protection and equality in, through universal services. But it must also be a society with a widespread capacity for reflection and evaluation of inclusive options for participation against an appropriate timescale. So much is and can be made possible now. How hugely regrettable it would be if through some form of evasion, moral cowardice, or indeed incapacity in the governing paradigm, societies were to continue to disregard the efforts of those women and men, our essential workers, and that having paid them fitting tribute for putting themselves and their families at risk for us all, we were to settle to reverting to where we were before the crisis. We must recognise what our needs and do so in a universal sense, as opposed to continuing acceptance of the slavish pursuit of wants that are presented so often as insatiable and even defiant of regulation. COVID has revealed, too, the potentially transformative and emancipatory role that the state can play if the will is there to allow for an innovative and interventionist state. We require a more activist and democratic state, one that can plan, coordinate, manage and intervene when necessary in an open, transparent manner, one placing the needs and welfare of its citizens at its core. To achieve this competence in decision-making and the fullest form of participation, a movement for economic literacy of a new kind will be necessary, one that will empower every citizen in order to achieve the cohesion social, economic, democratic, we now need, as I argue, that a radical paradigm shift is required in the connection between ecology, economics and society. One that combines the radicalism that is in the consciousness of climate activism, the awareness of egalitarianism and the programs of social inclusion activists. I support those calls for a new ecological social paradigm a recovered version of political economy, an integrated sustainable model that is now available to inform policy. There are already, such is already gaining traction in influential organisations such as the OECD and in the European street, which has in the aspirations of its citizens sought a Europe that is more than a zone of economic cooperation and technocratic arrangements. Consideration of a new eco-social paradigm requires a universalist mindset, one that recognises the limits of the world's resources, as well as the role that unrestrained greed has played in creating the climate crisis. Human beings are first and foremost resonant beings, as the German sociologist Hermit Rosa, who is with us here, would advocate. And an eco-social model is consistent with that principle of resonance. It is a counter-concept to the ubiquity of alienation, rooted in the concept of human need, eschewing models that take insatiable consumption and unrestricted accumulation as inevitabilities. It is a paradigm that represents our best hope for a sustainable future together, and, and one that offers intergenerational solidarity and the hope of a more just society. 
There are lessons on this which we can take from Immanuel Kant. We must pursue the recognition of dignity being defined universally and by cultural agency. We need to escape from the prison of thought built on the idea of the linearity of progress or of rights being either an exclusively European discovery or a benign ambition or a gift of colonisation. We must have the courage to accept the innateness of human rights of the person as being superior to their definition narrowly as acquired rights within borders. We need a new social contract which shares risks more collectively so that a more generous and inclusive global society is achieved, widening opportunities and asking citizens contribute for as long as they can so that everyone can fulfil their potential. A more generous social contract founded on key elements of solidarity and harmony one that recognises our interdependencies, vulnerabilities, supports and invests more in each other, that will assist in the building together of a more inclusive, cohesive society. And we require a space of discourse so that we may succeed in the generation and better understanding of ideas and policy evaluation across the social sciences. In all of this, the quality of media literacy is too a source of concern. Here, the essay tradition in German journalism and in other parts of Europe is something from which we in Ireland and many other nations in Europe could learn. But it is in decline. As to the importance of solidarity, may I thank you, President Steinmeier, for your and your country's ongoing solidarity with Ireland in the context of Brexit. That solidarity has been an important intervention, not least to help underpin the peace process in Northern Ireland, which you have consistently supported. The European Union's value and internal cohesion have rarely been so evident as during the withdrawal negotiations and the support of our European partners in protecting peace in Northern Ireland and avoiding a hard border on the island of Ireland. And it's been, it has been a reminder of the value of Europe standing together to defend its core values, democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. As to foreign policy, Ireland and Germany share similar values in our belief in multilateralism, especially in the areas of international peace and security. Of particular importance is our shared commitment to peacekeeping and to the work of the United Nations Security Council. I do want to acknowledge the debt of gratitude we owe to our German friends for assistance in evacuating Irish citizens and their dependents from Afghanistan during the recent crisis. President Steinmeier, may I take this opportunity to wish your government the best of luck with Germany's presidency of the G7 next year, when your country's leadership will be vital in tackling crises such as that of climate change. And I wish you the best of innovative thinking. As to Europe and its future direction, I'm delighted that Your Excellency will meet with students at the University of Limerick on Friday, many of whom are engaged in German-Irish studies, at which there will be an opportunity to discuss the future of Europe, something about which I know you feel passionately. Democracy it, itself needs such impetus for renewal. We must, all of us, engage meaningfully with the European street in any discourse on our shared future as Europeans. The European street needs to be reclaimed for all its citizens. And I do so agree with you, President, that we must not capitulate on this, our valuable shared heritage, and let it be torn asunder by opponents of our European Union. We must safeguard it and care for it, but improve it, 
That is our historic duty. European countries have proven how they can work well together on matters of research and academic exchanges in medicine, as evidence and I have just said, in seizing opportunities for new technologies that will offer opportunities for environmental sustainability. We must deepen and widen such connections. And as to our shared European future, may I suggest that Europe can be an exemplar in the forging of these new connections between economy, society and ecology of which I've spoken. There is now an opportunity for a green Europe to emerge from the former Europe of coal and steel as we continue in the Anthropocene era. A green Europe that can continue to provide for all its peoples without damaging irrevocably the fine ecological balance of the planet. And a version of society combining ecology, economy and culture that is rooted in social justice, humanitarianism and ethics, a great tradition in German philosophy. As we move towards a decarbonised sustainable future, central to its success will be its inclusiveness, thus a cognizance of the need for a just transition, for workers and communities will be required to ensure that everyone is part of a sustainable low-carbon economy and benefits from decent and green jobs. There must be a cohesive social policies that ensure no loss of citizen participation rights. And on the European street, there is a concern that our shared future might be defined in such a way as retains, even deepens, existing inequalities within our European Union. They speak of broken faith in relation to the cohesion that was promised in the Lisbon Treaty. And they ask, where is cohesion evidenced? They look at what an austerity model visited on the peoples of the Union together. They ask in relation to the future, are the fiscal measures of the Union's hegemony to be allowed to frustrate the catching up of that capital investment in the deficit countries that is so necessary if we are to achieve, if that, particularly if they are to take advantage of global low interest environment. The European Union of the future cannot simply be a reinforcement of different statuses accorded to surplus and deficit members. Those of us concerned for the future of the Union must put the peoples of the Union and what they should share above the narrow mindset of the requirements of any malfunctioning aberration of fiscal policy. Looking ahead, may I suggest that the Europe we now seek as to rebuild must be one that retains in its aspirations that great spirit of the Vintertainer Manifesto, a Europe in which the rhetoric of hate is replaced with the language of openness, inclusivity, cohesion, solidarity, those great words of Spinelli and Rossi. It is a future in which its member states will share their competencies and perceived advantages, including in matters of trade and economy, a Europe that recognises that the shift to a gendered ecological social paradigm of existence must be pursued together with urgency, and not just for our benefit in the European Union, but for future generations on our shared planet, whom we would wish to inhabit a peaceful, harmonious world that is supported by a sustainable vision of ethical economy and society, and enriched by a diversity of cultures. Such a pursuit would surely assist with resolving what you, President, recently identified as a crisis of trust between citizens and the state, a democratic crisis that has had such corrosive potential. Yes, it will be welcomed on the European street and in villages and farms in Europe. If we commit to investing in a vision of Europe being something inspiring for its citizens, one that recalls the best of utopian ideas, 
Utopia may never fully exist in reality, deriving its meaning as it does, ambiguously from the ancient Greek word for no place and a good place. But I ask if this is not a time ripe for dreaming of utopias, then I think, then if it is not now, when could it be? I go farther and ask, is it not a time for political economy as alternative to abstract description of failing economic measures? It is a time for moral impulse on politics, for we cannot ignore our present circumstances and challenges. After the financial crisis of 2008, sadly, the greatest growth in the democratic world we share were outbreaks of xenophobic extremism. And as a result of the ongoing pandemic, many certainties of preceding decades have been upended, leaving a vacuum which utopian ideals with diverse moral considerations should properly fill. Now comes the time to imagine futures which are not just better, but altogether different, to have a truly inclusive discourse, journey to recover lost authenticity. It is time, for example, to consider new measures such as universal basic services and universal basic income and other measures and the relation between them. So in combining these achievements and tasks of conscientization with a commitment to original thought and compassionate emancipatory scholarship and teaching. Good intellectual ideas can help bridge the space to that utopia and its praxis that we all as valuable inhabitants of our fragile planet need. Drawing on scholarship such as that of Ruth Levitas and German philosopher Ernst Bloch and indeed the seminal contribution of, of, of Habermas. It is by questioning the false inevitabilities that we, by which we, that we have been handed that will, will enable us to change everything. Challenge these assumptions, upend them, take our first steps on a journey of hope. Out of this alignment of curiosity, intellectual and moral rigour, moral courage and dogged determination, a new ethical sustainable Europe of which we can all be proud can emerge. Dear President Steinmeier, these two state visits allow us to celebrate all our connections, past and present, and to be confident that in the future we will have even closer relations for our successors to mark and recall in decades to come. So may I now invite you all, distinguished guests, to stand and join me in a toast to the good health of President Steinmeier and Mrs. Budenbender, to the happiness and prosperity of the people of Germany, to the continuing friendship and affection between our peoples. Slaunch you all. Prost.